This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're looking for cheerleaders in episode number 129. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, mamas and mamas-to-be, as well as the daddies who listen. This week, we are going to jump right into things. Again, I want to remind you that I've got Phoenix, who at the time of this recording is six weeks old, with me, so you might hear him uh, perhaps grouching, perhaps making happy noises on the podcast, and I just thank you for your understanding of that. But we're going to go ahead and jump in because we left off last week. We started off our series on having a VBAC and having a successful VBAC. And we're nowhere near the birth really yet because you have to start before the birth to have a successful VBAC. That's just the way that it is based upon political climate. And there's some preparation that you need to do within yourself as well. Last week we discussed some of the whys, why would you want to be back, and I hope that you were able to dig into some of the resources that I shared that talk about mothers and their satisfaction, as well as some of the data on the safety of VBAC over repeat cesarean. It's really compelling. We also discussed choosing a care provider, and wrapped up in that, we had a lot of discussion about choosing where you're going to give birth, because in reality, that's the first place that you need to look, because your care provider depends upon where you're going to choose to give birth. I'll make sure to link to that episode in the show notes, and you can go back and listen to that if you missed it, so that you've got the whole series. Today we're going to try, I definitely want to try and cover a couple more steps in preparing for a VBAC. Finding outside support is a really important one. And then I also definitely want to start to talk some about you and how you keep yourself low risk to prepare for your baby's birth. So let's jump in now with talking about finding outside support. A supportive care provider is really vital. That's what we talked about last week. But when I say finding outside support, those cheerleaders that I was alluding to at the beginning of the episode, I'm talking about more than just your care provider. Having a VBAC can be something that's difficult, not just because you need to go through the process of giving birth after you've had a cesarean, which that's something that can really, really weigh on a woman. You ask yourself, can I do it? Can my body really do this? Am I capable of this? Especially if the cesarean was for your first baby, and especially if it was for a reason like quote-unquote failure to progress or baby was in the wrong position and you just couldn't do enough to get the baby in the right position. All of those things are things that can make you doubt your ability to give birth naturally. And it's there's, there's a level of mind game in there. And that's where these outside supporters are really, really, really important and can really help you to feel confident in you. Because for the most part, most women can go on to have a vaginal birth after cesarean pretty successfully. And so you want to get over these doubts and you want to have support systems. If you remember from last week's podcast episode, I shared one of the things that we really look for when we, in the practice that I'm a student midwife in, when we're evaluating moms for a VBAC, is are their partners on board? Now, part of that is because we're a home birth practice, and it's important overall to make sure that the partner is on board if a woman is choosing a home birth for many reasons. But for one, because we're going to be coming into his home 
and helping this, you know, our client give birth. And we really need him to be supportive of it. But especially with the VBAC, it can be even more vital. So the first, I think that the first thing that many husbands worry about when they're thinking about, okay, my wife wants a VBAC, is they think back to the cesarean and they ask, maybe there really is something wrong and the cesarean really was for reasons of safety. And what if those occur again? What if she really needs that? I think part of this depends upon how far you are away from your cesarean and how much exploration you've done into it already and how much you've shared that with your partner. So some of you You may have had the cesarean a while ago or even a short time ago, but you feel like the cesarean was completely unnecessary and you've shared that with your partner and both of you feel confident that it was unnecessary. Perhaps he saw the way that you were treated at the hospital. Perhaps he saw that you were manipulated or that he was manipulated. So sometimes that happens. And your partner comes right on board because he's he's angry for you. So you're upset about your treatment. He's upset about your treatment. Sometimes both of you know that the cesarean was for a reason that is less likely to be repeated. For example, you had a cesarean for a breech baby. And we won't talk about breech babies right now because that's a whole debate in and of itself. But perhaps you were convinced that a cesarean for a breech was required or you had no choice. And both of you know that if you have a vertex baby, a head down baby this time, that you'll go for a vaginal birth after cesarean. So if you guys are already on the same page, then that's great. But a lot of moms aren't on the same page. So even in the situation that I just mentioned, the dad might think, well, now there's a new risk factor because she's had a cesarean already. And so what's the safety of this? That's the way that men often think. And that's really one of the ways that we've gotten birth to where it is. And on a certain level, I'm very grateful for the men who have striven to make birth more safe. Because that's one of the things that men think about is, how do I make birth safer for mom and baby? And I'm not saying that women don't think about that. But but to a man, they want to make it more safe or safer. And the way that they do that is is by trying to control the process, really. So when a husband or a partner is thinking, I want this to be the safest birth possible for my wife, my partner, and my child, they often think a medically managed and controlled birth is the safer birth. So that's their default. And that's I'm just saying that's very natural for men. To think. Men think in kind of technological ways. Many of them do. I know we have some artists and things like that, but a lot of men think. I mean, think about what men have done in the world when we think about like the technological marvels and computer engineering and everything. And there are women who are gifted in those. I mean, I'm a, I'm a total tech geek, ladies. I, I am a computer geek. I love gadgets. But... It's been men who have kind of driven those things forward because they have that kind of technical analytical mind by default. There are always exceptions. I'm sorry I have to waste breath on saying that there are always exceptions, but in today's politically correct world, I know that somebody's going to fuss at me if I don't give caveats, so I'm trying to give them quickly. But 
you know, men equate technology with safety and management with safety, and that's just a default for them. What we're what we are coming to discover more and more of, however, is that that's not necessarily the case, especially with something like birth, where you have things like hormones that they just they can fit neatly into a technological analogy. I use the analogy of a car in my birthing classes a lot. Not just because a car fits nicely when we talk about the technological model of birth, where, you know, we think that the mechanic comes in and he cranks open the car, but because if you look at today's cars, today's automobiles, they're infinitely more complex than, say, a Model T. I've been reading to my little ones about the Model T this year, and you know, it's so basic that people could just quickly and easily repair it in their own homes. They didn't have to have a mechanic. You know, they just went out there and fixed whatever was wrong. Today's automobiles are way more complex. They require a lot more. And if you take out vital components like the gasoline, like the computer system, the car stops functioning. So the human body is much more complex as well. And labor is much more complex than just crank open and pull baby out. There's all these other systems online, like the hormonal system, that need to be in place. And in fact, as we know, tend to serve as the controller. I believe that the way that we help our partners to understand that it's not just technology that makes things safe is that we help them understand that birth is much more complex than the technological model assumes. The medical management model of birth tries to reduce birth to its simplest form. In fact, they call it the three P's. The passenger, which is the baby, the process, and... Oh, I don't remember what the mom's P stands for right now because it's not my model. Um, but anyways, the mom is a P too. So anyways, when they're looking for something that goes wrong, they're asking, is it something with the mom? Is it something with the baby? Is it something with the process? And maybe the mom is the power. I don't know. I don't remember. Anyways, it's a really simplified model. And it's not an accurate model because it, it completely ignores the complex interplays that need to happen between all these factors. And it's, it tries to simplify things, simplify things like hormones down to, oh, you know, we just need to give a little Pitocin to mimic the oxytocin and then we're good. Except for that's flawed because Pitocin, it can stimulate stronger contractions, but it makes them too strong. And it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier like oxytocin does. It doesn't induce the same bonding response. It doesn't have the same pain-relieving effects. It's very different. So the attempt to simplify it down and control it, it doesn't work very well. And there's truth that medical technology can save lives. There's definite truth to that. Some moms need to be in a hospital situation or sometimes a hospital... Or a mom is even transported to the hospital after a home birth. Or a midwife transfers her care from a home birth or a birth center birth because she knows this mom needs hospital care. So again, with the caveats, technology is life-saving when it's used. But it's life-saving when it's used in needed situations, which is not the majority of those situations. So helping your man understand the innate safety of birth and that birth is innately designed to work is a good way to help him start to understand that for you, allowing your body to do what it's supposed to do can help you have a successful VBAC. And it may even shed some light on why didn't things happen the way that they should have the first time around. So 
Another thing that you can do to help educate your partner is to educate him on the risks of repeat cesareans. And that's where the documentation that is included with last week's podcast show notes will be really helpful to you. Just give him the straight facts. Help him to understand. There are chapters in Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering by Sarah Buckley. And actually, you can have him listen to the podcast interview that I did with Sarah Buckley, which is still one of one of my favorite podcast episodes of all time. But have him listen to that podcast episode. Or there, there are paragraphs in Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering that really get into the more nitty-gritty technical, okay, this is where the medical model is limited. The, those things can help bring to his awareness what research really does say, what science really is showing, which is that the technological model of birth, where we just simplify down to base reductions and throw out all of the safeguards that nature put in place and replace them with our man-made drugs and machines, doesn't always seem to work. And it's much better to have a partnership with some of those man-made technologies, which are life-saving, and the life-saving, quote-unquote, technologies that nature put into birth. And then also have him understand that a repeat cesarean carries risks, and those risks need to be weighed when you're considering a VBAC versus a repeat cesarean. When you've gotten him on board, he's also very, very valuable for you because he can remind you of your goals for a VBAC and he can be confident for you. I've, I was, I had some students asking hard questions on the mama baby birthing calls recently. If you haven't checked out my online childbirth course, it's at mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A babybirthing.com. It's a self-paced course. I do, however, do a Q&A call live every week. So you can go through the course at your own pace. But if you have questions about the course materials or about your unique situation, you can come and ask me on that call. So definitely check that out. Again, that's mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A babybirthing.com. Thing.com. So I've had some students uh, who have been asking tough questions because they were in a tough situation where they felt like their options for birth were limited. They didn't really care for their care providers and felt like they were being put between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. And we're asking, how can we advocate for ourselves? And how can we stand up? Even the dad was on the call asking questions. And he was, he was asking, you know, how did Scott... How was Scott able to help you so well? In the video, or in the course, I have a video of my labor with my sixth baby, Corwin. And so the husband and wife had watched that, and they were just asking how Scott and I worked together like that. And so, you know, he and I were really thinking about how did we work together, and, uh, and, you know, what was Scott's role? Because one of the things that Scott's always said is, well, I didn't really do much. But for me, so for me, Kristen... Scott's vital because he's there for me to hold on to during during all these rushes and stuff, which can be really intense. But his unwavering faith in me is something that I drew strength from. So there were times during my birthing times when I doubted myself. And having him there believing in me, even verbally saying things like, well, I can remember at a point in Galen's birth where I felt like, I must not be very far along, but everything felt super, super intense. And he said to me, you know, the contractions are not stopping. And he just kind of, verb- him verbali- verbally saying that and acknowledging what was going on for me helped me to realize, okay, 
regardless of where I was an hour ago, this is trucking along. This is really happening and gave me confidence in myself. And in later baby's births, I I tend to hesitate about getting into the tub. And he would say to me, I think you should get in the tub because things are really moving along. You always doubt yourself at this point and you're always glad when you get in the tub. And just having him there reminding me, being confident in me, him being confident listening to my body and and bringing that to my awareness that I could be confident in my body was really, really important to me. So your man will be there to be a physical support, physically holding your hand, physically being there but also can be an emotional rock because labor can get really intense. It can end up feeling difficult. And so having your partner there, having him there believing in you can make a really, really big difference. And then it's not necessarily just your partner, though for sure I feel like it's important to get him on board. But it may be that he's not the best labor support for you. So in that case, your mom or your sister or somebody may be really, really, really important. Somebody to be there. Also, I believe that when you're planning a VBAC, it's a good idea to make sure that the circle that's around you is supportive. So this is talking about your mom and your sister or your mother-in-law or somebody If you have somebody who's persistently negative, maybe you've tried to offer some education to them, but they're persistently negative about your VBAC plans or they think that they're silly because your sister-in-law has had three cesareans and she's fine and why do you care? You'll get to schedule your baby's birthday, which is convenient for everybody anyways, so why even bother with this VBAC nonsense? If you're persistently getting that kind of an attitude, I encourage you to limit your time spent with those people. You can also try and speak up and say something like, I appreciate your perspective. I understand your views. I know that she made the right choices for her or you made the right choices for you. Maybe your mom or your mother-in-law had a bunch of cesareans and they don't see why you're making such a big deal about a natural birth. So you can say, I respect you and your experience. This is our experience and we're doing what we feel is best for our baby. You can say that. If they continue to persist in being negative or bringing it up over and over again, you can say stop. You know, again, I appreciate your perspective. This is what we're choosing. I would rather not discuss it anymore. And if they keep discussing it, you may need to make the hard choice that this isn't the, this isn't the kind of person that I need to be around right now. I need to make sure that I am getting some space from this person because this isn't a good environment. And if you have a hard time doing that, then I know it takes it takes a lot. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. But if you have a really, really, really hard time with that, you can't imagine standing up, that's a boundary problem for you. So you have a problem, not you have a problem with their boundaries, but you have a problem with letting somebody else trample over your own boundaries without being able to stand up to them. And so... You might want to consider doing some boundary work. Pregnancy is a great time to engage in some personal development and personal growth anyhow. So you might want to do some boundary work. Um, There's a book called Boundaries by Drs. Cloud and Townsend. It's a book from a Christian perspective, but I honestly think the information in this book is so super valuable. I'm going to share it with you anyways, even if you don't feel like that's a perspective that resonates with you. Because boundary problems are something that everybody has. And so it's definitely worth a read. 
It. I had a friend let me borrow it, and I actually let it sit on my bookshelf for a few months before I finally picked it up. And when I did, I thought to myself, wow, I really should have read this book a decade and a half ago, <laughs> maybe even two decades ago. But it's a great book. So again, one of the I, I spend some time on this because one thing that I hear from students in mama baby birthing classes over and over and over again is I have this family member and basically we have a toxic relationship because she has a negative perspective about my choices with my kids or with my birth. And how do I deal with that? And I will say something like standing up for yourself or telling telling that person they just, you know, you appreciate their perspective, but you're going to do things your way. And people are just very fearful of doing that. They're very, very fearful about saying, I'm going to do it my way. And it's not that you're doing it in a stubborn way. It's that you've really and truly researched this and you've really and truly made the choice. And so from a mature perspective, this is what you're going to do. And again, from a mature perspective, it's your life. And respectfully, somebody else can choose something different, but this is your life. And you just, you have to learn to stand up to people. And choosing a different birth experience, be it a VBAC, be it a natural birth, be it a home birth, there's a possibility that there's going to be some clashes there. And especially with parents and in-laws who are used to having a huge influence on your life and who may be struggling a little bit with the fact that you get to make your own choices at this point. There may be some boundary issues that come up. So just, you know, just keep those in mind. Another source of support for you during your birthing time and also during pregnancy, and this is another good support if you're working to help your partner come to understand, this might be a source of support for that, which is a doula. I believe that having a doula there with you I mean, research is proven. So randomized controlled research trials, the golden, you know, the the gold star, the gold standard, that's what I'm looking for. The gold standard of scientific research have proven that benefit or that doulas are beneficial. They result in fewer interventions, healthier mothers and babies, shorter labors, the list could go on. So doulas have been proven without a shadow of a doubt to be beneficial for labor. And especially if you're a first-time mom, if you're a VBAC mom, if you're a mom who's having to birth in what might be a hostile situation, for example, the couple that I was talking about earlier who were being faced with a birth in a situation that, that they didn't very much care for, but they felt like it was limited by their insurance, I recommended a doula to them because, again, a doula is, she's able to help you. And she stays with you the entire time that you're in labor. She's there to help you. She is a rock for you. She believes in you. She'll probably meet with you one to two times in pregnancy and again can help you with finding information to give to partners and other people. She can help you. She's not going to talk to your care provider for you so much, but she's the rock behind you and she helps you to figure out how to dialogue with your care provider. She could even role play with you if you're going to be going into what you feel is like an appointment with a care provider that might get confrontational or you're going to have to assert yourself but you're worried about being assertive she could kind of help you role play that so she's there for you she's there to support you she's there to be to be with you and during your laboring and birthing time she's there for you in a very practical way helping you to work with the rushes to work with the birthing waves to work with the contractions whatever you want to call them 
she's there for you to help you work with that and she's there for the long haul in and through all of it and it's just a really 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 beneficial resource if you are on a low income you're a military mom or anything else like that you can often find a doula who will waive her fee or work for a reduced fee so I would recommend that no matter what your situation is you seek out a doula and talk to her because she can be really really beneficial another place to get support is um, support groups. So many areas have an ICANN group, which is the International Caesarean Awareness Network. And I'll, I will be sure to put that into the show note, a link to the ICANN page. You can see if you can find a meeting in your area, even before you become pregnant, it can be helpful to you to, to process what's happened. And as you prepare for another birth, to get ready for that birth can also help dial you in to care providers in your area who are VBAC friendly, doulas in your area who are great at providing support for VBACs, and just be there with women who understand, who have been there, who know the processing that you're needing to go through, who know the steps that you need to take, and who can be there for you. Another place that you might be able to find support is with your La Leche League group. So La Leche League is a breastfeeding organization, and during the main part of the meeting, it's going to be talking about breastfeeding. But once the main part of the meeting is over, usually leaders will make a note that, okay, the official part of the meeting is done, and there's more time for small talk and sharing experiences. And you'll often find moms there who understand or who empathize, and again, who may be dialed into resources in your community that can help you find providers who are supportive of VBAC. With that, let's move on to keeping yourself low risk, which is a really, really, really important step for any pregnancy. What I'm going to tell you right now is super important no matter what situation you're in for birthing your baby. In fact, if you were going to have a planned cesarean, I would tell you that these steps are super important too because they're going to help you grow a healthy baby, which is what all of us want to do when we're pregnant. And they're also going to help your body to be strong and healthy and ready for a good birth experience. If you've listened to my podcasts, you know that I feel super strongly about pregnancy nutrition. I would even go so far as to say I'm fanatical about it. I managed to talk about pregnancy nutrition on just about every mama baby birthing Q&A call. I would say that I've probably talked about it on most podcast episodes. Both of my major pregnancy classes, Great Pregnancy and Mama Baby Birthing, both have a crash course in pregnancy nutrition. It's just so important. And one of the reasons why it's so important is because it's so neglected today or the information is so bad. So the information that pregnant women are usually given is you're not eating for two. You need 300 extra calories and then you're good. And that's really, really dumb because 300 extra calories as is related to what? Because if you're eating 1,200 calories a day, which some women actually try and live on and a few manage to fall pregnant on, and you add in 300 extra calories to get to 1,500, you're eating nowhere near what you need for a growing baby. If you're eating 2,000 calories a day and you add in 300 extra, yeah, you're getting up to where you need to to be able to nourish a baby. But basically, what what you want during pregnancy is a diet that grows a healthy baby, that grows a strong, robust, healthy placenta, 
that builds a healthy blood supply for your baby, that builds a good amount of amniotic fluid, that keeps the amnion and the chorion, which are the two layers that make the amniotic sac, that keeps those healthy and robust to protect against infection and to stay strong, which if especially if you want to have a VBAC, you want them to be strong because the ideal is for your waters to stay intact until the end of labor. About 10% of women will naturally have the waters release or break earlier, but it's ideal for them to stay intact because it helps the baby position him or herself well. So good nutrition nourishes that uh, bag of waters, that amniotic sac. Good nutrition nourishes your uterus so that it's healthy, so that it's healed well from your previous cesarean, so that it is healthy, well-nourished, robust, and able to make, to do what it needs to do all throughout your birthing time. Good nutrition builds your blood supply. You are supposed to have about two extra quarts of blood when you go into labor. You're supposed to have about 60% increase to your blood supply. That's vital throughout your pregnancy. It, it starts at about eight weeks of pregnancy and you peak and maintain at around 28 weeks of pregnancy or so. Your blood volume peaks and maintains again at about a 60% increase, about a two quart increase. And that helps facilitate everything else that I just talked about, the good nutrition to your baby, uh, nourishing the placenta, the amniotic sac, keeping amniotic fluid volume where it's supposed to be keeping the uterus nourished, all of that. So your blood supply is vital to all of that. Plus, you have extra blood on board for the process of giving birth, which is going to involve some blood loss. Then that extra blood supply also helps to facilitate you transferring nutrients to the baby and also transferring nutrients away. And it helps to nourish your body because your body, every single system in your body has made changes for your pregnancy. So your cardiovascular system, your urinary system, your respiratory system, all of those systems, your hormonal system, the endocrine system, all of those are profoundly impacted by pregnancy. They're natural and normal changes, but your body also expects that blood volume change to allow for the transfer of nutrients and the maintenance of this pretty pretty dramatically changed body. So you're going to get this super cute baby bump. But that's not the only thing that happens in pregnancy. There's a lot of other stuff going on with your body. And good nutrition helps to facilitate all of that. When you're preparing for a VBAC, you want your body to be strong, robust, well-nourished, well-healed. And again, just really, really vital so that you and your baby are in good condition. So that you're in the best of condition. So that you have the stamina for, for uh, natural birth. So that's one aspect. I believe that's the pretty much the most important aspect of physical preparation for birth is making sure that you're well nourished. Now once we go beyond that, another aspect of staying low risk is movement. Some people would say exercise, and you can say exercise if you want to. I like to use movement because the focus of exercise is usually on losing weight, which is not what we're going to do during pregnancy. Exercise just, it brings to mind sweat and pain to shed pounds. That's what most people, that's the connotation that they have when they think about exercise. What I want you to think about is movement. So getting up and moving um, and 
keeping your body in a good state of health and creating habits of moving and not just sit, 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 sitting all the time, which is what a lot of us do. But you also don't want to sit, sit, sit all the time and then go kill yourself in the gym and then sit, sit, sit some more. Instead, what you want to do is you want to exercise, you want to, or you want to move. You want to make movement part of your life. You want to make doing something other than just sitting a part of your life. So getting out, going for a walk, um, you know, getting up, dancing, those sorts of things. And you can pick a prenatal exercise routine. Go check out Amazon and look at all the prenatal exercise videos. See which one resonates with you or pull up some prenatal exercise videos on YouTube and watch those and enjoy those and get your, you know, get your heart pumping and feel good. Get that smile on your face, those good endorphins from exercise. But also take daily walks. Get yourself in the habit of getting up and moving. These things build stamina in your body for birth. And they also help to keep your lymphatic system running. They just keep your body running the way that it's supposed to. Another thing that getting up and moving and especially things like walking are really beneficial because they help your baby line up in the optimal position. And we're going to come back and talk about that more. But your baby doesn't realize that we've moved away from humans and ages past to did I I mean if you like if you watch a video of an African village or something you'll see that those women end up sitting around a lot they do but there's also times when they're up and moving and they're not sitting in like chairs a lot so they and they may be squatting a lot of times you see them in position where they've got their back against a hut or some other kind of wall and their legs are extended right out in front of them that's another really common posture to see but if you look at them, you see that even though they do spend a lot of time sitting, there's also a lot of other dynamic movement throughout their day. And it's not it's not being on the treadmill or the elliptical like killing yourself. It's it's just dynamic movement throughout the day as they go and they move. So what I'm talking about with movement, that's what your body expects, that's what your baby expects, and that's what helps get your baby lined up for birth. So the, adding movement into your day every day is beneficial to your body in so many ways, and it's beneficial to your baby in so many ways. So it's a big part of keeping yourself low risk. And then another aspect of it is resting and bonding. And basically this could be kind of clumped into stress relief, but you want to take the time to rest. So you don't want to be go, 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 either physically or emotionally. I have definitely had some times in this pregnancy that I just finished with Phoenix. It was actually probably the toughest for me, even over pregnancies where I was living well below the poverty line. My first three pregnancies just my first three babies came into this little, my first baby was born in a trailer park. So that tells you about our economic situation. But I would say that my pregnancy with Phoenix was more stressful in some ways because I was doing a, a level of the breadwinning. So even with my first few babies where we were really, really, really below the poverty line, I, 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 left my job when I was pregnant with Cassidy and I didn't go back to work. And so that was, you know, so there wasn't that stress there, even though, you know, their dad went from job to job to job, which was stressful in its own way. But it, I knew that it wasn't directly related to me and it wasn't all on me, at least not at that point. Whereas during my pregnancy with Phoenix, it, it was to a certain level and it was different 
because it was a conscious choice that Scott and I made, but it's still a pressure, and it's a pressure that I've felt a lot lately, and the feeling of kind of bone-crushing stress from that has been different than a lot of what a lot of other stress that I've ever experienced. I would say that the only stress that that was on par with that ever was after um after Cassidy Asher Brennan and I uh you know after their dad left and a couple years later when when Scott and I had married and we were petitioning for um for him to be able to adopt them. There was a lot of stress in that situation too. And that's the only other thing that ever has come so close. So this this level of chronic toxic stress that we can find ourselves in is something that can really impact the health of a pregnancy. And one of the things that I had to be super conscious of while I was pregnant with Phoenix was when that stress mounted, I had to figure out a way to stop because it often felt like it was a like a downward spiral cycle. And I had to find a way to break that control of stress on me. And for me, I'm a planner. So sitting back and kind of planning practical steps to help was something that tended to work for me. Or, um, you know, just talking to Scott about what was going on and going over our options with him. Or I, I even sought out a counselor during that during my pregnancy. And so talking to her has really helped me a lot. So these are all steps. And I share my own experience because... I know what that feeling of stress, like, it feels so tense. Like, you feel like, you know, you feel kind of like you're going to have a heart attack as you think about the situation. And that's the kind of thing that you want to try and avoid. And even lower levels of stress that tend to be like this chronic low-grade stress and anxiety, those aren't things that you want to have. So working your way through those, and there are many ways to do that. Having the support of, of outside people, seeking those support groups. And some stress can come from just planning a VBAC in and of itself. So finding those supportive people who are there with you. Um, looking, for, looking at books for advice has been helpful to me. Listening to a podcast like this one. Uh, just reaching out and finding support, finding strategies that can help you, eating well and getting that movement, and then just taking time to put your feet up. That was probably the biggest turning point for me in my pregnancy with Phoenix when I had gone through a couple of weeks that were really rough was when I pulled out my brewer diet chart and I checked everything off to make sure I was really eating as well as I said that I was. And I and I said, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm going to take 20 minutes to lay down every day. I'm going to have a rest time every day where I'm just, where I'm just relaxing. Um, doing that really made a big difference for me, even though it didn't necessarily take away the stress. So finding ways that you can carve out moments of stress relief where you can find that support, where you can find that advice, perhaps find those strategies. And if you can solve the points of stress, then definitely do that. But but bringing and toning that stress down will go a long way towards helping you have a healthier pregnancy and having a better birth experience. And taking the time to to bond with your baby and just enjoy and, and relax and rest and love you know, love your baby during pregnancy, looking forward to your baby. And that looks different for different moms. Some moms picture cuddling a sweet baby. Some moms picture a baby a few months older who's laughing at them and who's rolling on the floor and all that. Some moms picture having a tea party or playing in the sandbox. Some moms picture a child grown up. It doesn't really matter what you picture because, you know, that's that's part of you and your child. 
but something that you picture that you look forward to that helps you to feel connected and excited about your baby. Those are things that will really help you. Okay, I feel like we've gone enough for this week. So next week we will talk about some more steps. This may end up being a four-part series because we still have some pretty some pretty deep things to dive into, but I think that it will really help you as you prepare for having a great VBAC with your baby. So next week we'll talk over those things and I will share more with you. If you've got any questions or any feedback or anything, you can leave a comment on the show notes or you can shoot me an email directly, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com and I'll be happy to cover those things um, on one of the upcoming episodes or reply back to you if that seems pertinent. Otherwise, again, I shared with you my birthing classes. I have a special section just for VBAC moms within the birthing class. And again, I do the live Q&A every week. You can come every week, pick my brain every week, or you can come once or twice, get your questions answered. Again, that's mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A babybirthing.com. Full self-paced six-week online childbirth course. And if you need it, I'm there live with Q&A for you every week. It's one of the highlights of my week. For now, again, mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A, babybirthing.com. And I hope you have a blessed week, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.